How are you this morning? Where did the snow go? From whence it came, right? Yes, yes, very good. Uh, this is Mark McClellan. Can you say hi to Mark? Hey, Mark. Hi. Mark, what are you doing up here? I don't know. You told me to come up here. That's correct. That's correct. Well, in a moment, uh, we'll be back in the book of James. James is a show-me kind of guy. He said, I will show you my faith by what I do. I will show you my faith by what I do. So, if you have sermon notes, like to follow along. Mark's going to be bringing the message this morning. <laughs> I love doing this. <laughs> yeah, let's pray. <laughs> Good. Uh, actually, Mark told me a story this morning that really touched me, and I think is a perfect application to this message. So we're going to start with the end in mind. So tell us what happened to you this week. I thought it was cool. Um, well, my son and I uh, started a new little business where we empty out houses that get foreclosed and get rid of the garbage. So we were doing that and piling the garbage up by my house to have the garbage men pick it up in. A lady that I don't normally get a chance to talk to stopped by and said, oh, you're cleaning out your house. And I uh, said, no, not my house, and explained the story to her. And uh, she proceeded to really open up and share with me about an event going on in her life. And she told me that her husband, Phil, uh, has stage four pancreatic cancer, and he wasn't given much time to live. Uh, mind you, this is a lady that I don't normally communicate that much with because I leave early and come home late and don't usually see her. So she just proceeded to pour her heart out to me and say how um, this is hard for her, um, not only dealing with this, but feeling alone. So um, my son Marcus and I had an opportunity to pray for her and um, and just be that person for her to you know feel love and uh, as she was talking with me, she had said that last year her husband had started redoing their roof, and he only got halfway before he fell ill. And uh, immediately at that moment, God convicted me, and he said, Mark, this is a project right up your alley, so um, we want to do that for Faith in Action, is to help finish that roof, um, not only to meet her physical need there of having a roof on her house finished in her garage, but... Um, it was a great opportunity for meeting her spiritual needs as well because she was open to uh, just feeling love and, and uh, knowing that there's more than just her out there in this world. So uh, if you could keep uh, Chris and Phil in your prayers um, and uh, uh, that's pretty much the story. Need some help on the roof? Yeah. See Mark after the service if that's something that's kind of in your corner and up your alley. Um, there are divine appointments all around us. I will show you my faith by what I do. Now, Mark could have taken the time and prayed with her, may God provide for your every need, but he went way beyond that. And now he's going to finish this roof. He's committed to doing that, no charge. That's not the point of all this, but the love of Jesus in action. That's what it's all about, right? And each of us has that opportunity day by day, moment by moment, to make that happen in the lives of people all around us. Just a simple touch. Mark, thanks for being obedient. Thank you for being willing to come up this morning. Did a nice job, didn't he? <laughs> thanks, Thank Mark. You. So I guess the moral to that story, if you have a good story, don't just share it with me. Share it with everybody. 
God's at work. He's doing a lot of very cool things, right? Well, James, he's that show-me kind of guy. I will show you my faith by what I do. So throughout the book of James, uh, he has demonstrated and challenged us and shown us evidences that our faith is real and genuine. He's done that in several different ways in our six-year journey through the book of James, uh, verse by verse, very slowly. Uh, For those of you new to Southside or visiting with us, uh, we're in the book, and then we'll go do something else, and we come back to the book of James, and that's where we are again this morning. Uh, So he says that, look, if you want to know if your faith is the, the real deal, we can tell by the way that we handle tests and trials and temptations. That was in James chapter 1. Not just listening to the Word of God, but actually doing the Word of God. Again in James chapter 1. He, he says that, uh, you know, showing favoritism is not good in God's sight. In James chapter 2. And when we are impartial as God is impartial, when we are free from prejudice as God is free from prejudice... Uh, then we're exhibiting genuine faith. He talked about the kind of words that come out of our mouth in James chapter 3. We spent some time in that passage of Scripture. And then he talked about the wisdom that guides our life is evidence that our faith is real. And last week, how we handle our money and possessions is a clear indicator that our faith is real. How we handle our money and our possessions. So we'll talk a little bit more about that today. Let me unpackage last week's sermon. If you didn't listen to that, it is foundational for understanding what we're talking about today. And that's available online if you'd like to listen. Well, Jesus, brother James, taught that nothing more clearly reveals the condition of our heart than our view of money and material things. Jesus said this. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now understand, Jesus didn't say it's it's not a good idea, or you, you probably can't do it. He said it's impossible. You can't serve both God and money. It's either one or the other. Unfortunately, some who claim faith in Christ can create confusion by living a lifestyle that's extremely selfish and so is the faith genuine or is it not if we're living a selfish lifestyle it really is a clear indication that we are serving wealth and not serving god this is a very important issue in scripture james of course challenges the rich and he says focus pay attention focus and this is where we were last week in this uh, rather difficult passage of scripture to preach but here's what he said i think it is important that we hear the word of god look here you rich people weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags your gold and silver are corroded the very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire isn't this fun oh my This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. Ah, these are fun passages to preach. It hurts. Yeah, it does. So far in his book, James has been a bit rough on rich folk. 
In chapter 1, he says they're like a flower wilting in the heat of a very hot summer day. That's what they're like. In chapter 2, he says uh, they're going to get what's coming to them because they have exploited the poor and dragged them into court. He's been very, uh, this term rich people, oh wow. But in today's text, he unleashes this blistering, scathing condemnation of those who profess to worship God. They profess to worship God, but in fact are worshiping money and possessions. This is a clear indicator if our faith is genuine. So he lists the charges against them and warns the rich, judgment's coming. Here comes the judge. He is coming. You're going to have to answer for this. So listen. Pay attention now. Focus in on what I'm trying to say. James is writing to us. So let me ask, by dictionary definition, do you consider yourself rich or poor? Be careful. (laughs) Do you consider yourself rich or poor? Now, rich means having wealth or great possessions abundantly supplied with resources. Poor, having little or no money, goods or other means of support. Now, as I mentioned last week, rich and poor are really relative terms. They really are. Because what we do is we narrow our lives to this little focus of being in America, in the state of Wisconsin, in Sheboygan County, and we we narrow our lives down and we sometimes forget the bigger picture. The bigger picture of what the world is like. So, here's what the stats say. If you live in the United States, how many of you live in the United States? Okay, that's most of you. And you have a household income of $20,000. $20,000. You are in the richest 4% of the world's population, and your income is more than five times the global average. Well, let me ask you again. Are you rich or are you poor? Okay, I'm starting to change my thinking here. Now, if you live in the United States, if you have a roof over your head, if you eat three meals a day, if you have a car or some form of transportation, and you have indoor plumbing, you are in the top 1% of the richest people in the history of this planet. Let me ask you again, are you rich or are you poor? You see, we gauge our lives by this narrow bandwidth of where we live in the moment. And we're tempted to think, this is, we don't have all that much. Yes, we do. We live in a blessed country where abundance just oozes everywhere. If we're honest with ourselves for a moment. Methinks most all of us fall into the rich people category. So, if you were tempted just to kind of dial me out for another 15 minutes or so, time to wake up. Pay attention, focus in, because I think we're all fitting into this category of being rich people. There is an abundance here. We all agree with that, right? Anybody here with no shoes on? Except here. Because she took them off. And she'll take her socks off, too, in just a minute. Right, Davina? Yeah. Okay, so we get that. Anybody here? Starving. I don't mean, oh man, I'm really hungry. I'm just starving. Can't wait till he's done so I can get home. Right? We all have access to food. We all have access to clothing. We all have access to indoor plumbing. You know what a blessing that is to have clean water in the rest of the world? Perspective. It's a matter of perspective. 
So we might want to listen up. Every person here possesses wealth and material goods to one degree or another. So we begin where we left off. Where does all the good stuff we have come from? God. Very good. Moses reminded the Israelites who were about ready to enter the promised land. He said this, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Remember him. Don't forget him. It's easy to do. But he's the one that gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's a gift from him. Proverbs 22. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of all of us. Rich, poor, doesn't make any difference. The difference in the question that he asks, what are we doing with what we've got? It's not how much we have. What are we doing with it? That's the question. So, how many of you know someone richer than you? How many of you know someone poorer than you? It's all relative. It's all relative. Please understand, the Bible does not teach that being rich is sinful in and of itself. The Bible never, never teaches that. No New Testament believer is ever condemned for being rich. What is wrong is to misuse what God has given us, whether we're rich or poor. That's what God's got a problem with. Now, here's what Paul said, writing to young Pastor Timothy in Ephesus. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Don't misquote that, please. The love of money is not the root of all evil. No. The love of money is the root of all kinds of different evil. And some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And understand this idea of craving money, I have found, is often an attitude found more in poor people than it is in rich people. So it doesn't matter how much you have or don't have. That's not the issue. The issue is what's going on in our heart. Are we craving all of these earthly material possessions? Then he says to Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Oh, yeah. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And because I had so much fun with it and I didn't get any emails last week, I'm going to do it again. Some of us in this Dutch prevalent culture, it's like use money to enjoy. That's not what money's for. Save it. Save it. Be frugal, right? Be really tight with your money. You got to do this. And I get that because I tend to be that way myself. But God has given this stuff for our enjoyment. It's okay to use money once in a while to have some fun, would you? Just lighten up. Lighten up. Some folk are just wow, it just kind of blows my mind. Uh, There's some folk that that just, they make Scrooge look like, uh uh-oh, mental infarction. They make Scrooge look like, give me somebody that spends money a lot. Uh, No, give me a name. Give me a name. Not the person next to you. Give me a name. (laughs) Who? Donald Trump. Trump. Okay, we'll start with that. Oh, now we're going to go there. Okay. I'm not touching that one. (laughs) Oh, my. James pictures this day as a terrible day of judgment when the wicked rich will stand condemned before the Lord. Why? What went wrong? What happened? God's given us all this stuff for our enjoyment. What went wrong? What went wrong? He says, you've exploited the poor in verse 4. Now, as we mentioned, day laborers were an essential part of Israel's agrarian economy 
Withholding wages was strictly forbidden in the Old Testament. In fact, he said, the cries of the cheated field workers, your field workers, have reached the ears of lords of heaven armies. The Lord of heaven's armies. He can dispatch myriads of angels at any time, and they take care of business. He's listening. He's heard. He is going to respond. Don't think you're getting away with anything. Though they, it might seem from the outside that they were succeeding in their scam, they were really fattening themselves for the day of slaughter. Ouch. Ouch. He says, you've exploited the poor. You've also hoarded your wealth in verse 3. The word hoard literally means to stack up like coins. So you picture that stack going up. The idea is to supply is a supply that is hidden or carefully guarded for future use. A supply of whatever it is that's carefully hidden or guarded for future use. Now, hoarding is a tragically widespread sin of our time. I think that hoarding is more common than people realize. It's far more than a TV show. How many of you have seen the TV show Hoarders? That thing just kind of drives me bananas. Can people really live like that? Yes, they do. I've been in some of their houses like, hey, 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 hey. It's really a mindset. It's a mindset that people have. That I'm going to safely secure this little nest egg. I'm going to put it aside for future use. It's hoarding. Now, that's the word that James uses here. Literally, stack up a bunch of coins. God has a, an opinion about hoarding. He does. Now, compulsive hoarding happens when a person collects and keeps a lot of stuff, even though that stuff appears useless or of little value to the rest of us. And these items begin to clutter the living spaces and keep the person from using their rooms as they were intended, and it causes distress or problems in day-to-day activities. See, we all have a little bit of horror inside of each of us. You understand that, right? We all have a propensity to stack this stuff up right now we've all had the experience of walking down the neighborhood street we go by this house and it's got its garage door open right garage door is open the garage is packed with so much stuff you can't get anything more in there much less a car are you kidding me you're gonna put a car in there <laughs> yeah maybe hot wheels sure but the rest it ain't going in there not gonna happen no we're not it's a garage what is a garage for a car I can't get my car in there. Are you kidding me? In fact, it looks so packed that the garage door might not even be able to close. It's stacked all the way to the top. Wait a minute. Was that your house? Huh. You see, Jesus challenges his followers to do something new. He says, do not store up. It's the same word, thesorizo in Greek, the same word that James uses for hoard. It's the exact same word his brother uses. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't hoard this stuff here on earth, but rather he directs his followers. He says, store them up. Same word, thesorizo, your treasures in heaven. You want to hoard it, hoard it in heaven. It's waiting on you there. Because if you're doing it here, we're missing the point. We are missing the point. Maybe it's time to downsize. Maybe it's time to simplify our lives. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Now, three times in our lives, Cindy and I, in order to follow God, have sold pretty much everything we had. Our cars, 
everything that we had in order to follow the Lord in the next step of our journey. The last time we did it was a few years back when we came here, left everything, most everything we had in Thailand to come here. We didn't have a car, we didn't have a house, we didn't have a bed, we didn't have, we didn't have much of anything. Those are great times. They're liberating times. Just get rid of all the junk and clutter. My goodness. So I was thinking about this yesterday. I prepared the sermon a while back. So yesterday afternoon, I'm in front of my closet picking out clothes for today, and I'm thinking, hmm, hmm. So now I got this big stack of clothes for Goodwill. I'm, I'm going light. I'm going lean, right? Goodwill, here we come, right? And I'm the kind of guy that says, if you haven't worn it in a year, nah, nah. What are we keeping this stuff for? Oh, when you slim down? When you lose some weight? Yeah, like, oh boy, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Okay. I'm saying, we all have this propensity, either a little bit or a lot, to hoard our stuff. Now, understand, Jesus never attacks affluence, never, but abundance that is not properly used. And I've discovered that things stored for today to bring us security tomorrow can create an attitude and an environment of laziness and a lack of faith. If we are relying upon the stuff that we're gathering now for the future, for today it will mean laziness and a lack of faith. When I became the lead pastor of the church in Fort Wayne in 1995, my district superintendent, knowing me, said, John, don't make any changes in the first six months. Just get to know the people. Right. Everyone knew some changes needed to be made. That's why they brought me there. One of the things I did was evaluate the giving patterns of that church. I quickly noticed they had more than $400,000 in the bank. It's a nice little nest egg. Oh, we can go a long ways on that but they were using the money to keep the doors open. The weekly giving did not nearly cover the weekly expenses of the church. They were living off the interest of their little nest egg. That's where the security, that's where the trust was. So about the third board meeting, I said, we're either going to give all of the $400,000 to missions or we're going to build a facility for outreach like you have planned but never executed. What are you going to do? What are we going to do? Well, a very wise leadership team said, let's do this. They were incredibly supportive. They were ready. The church grew rapidly, paid off that building very quickly. Boom, done, done. But I had to wipe out that little security thing, right? How are we going to live? We can't even make the weekly bills now. Scott Diver, treasurer, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Because it's a matter of faith. Who are we trusting in? Now, I want people guarding the monies of this church, watching carefully, paying attention to the budget. It's all very, very necessary. Understand that. But ultimately, this is a matter of trust and faith. Where are we putting our confidence? Are we hoarding something for future use? Or are we trusting God to supply today our daily bread like he will tomorrow? Traveling, friends. Traveling. Now, understand, I have a savings account. I believe the church should have a wise and reasonable financial plan as well. I believe in all of that. However, are we trusting God or a 401k or a bank or a portfolio investment broker, our land, our building? What are we trusting in? 
What are we trusting in? Hoarding our possessions, whether it's food, clothing, money, will not keep it from rotting and rusting. That's what James said. Your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. All earthly treasure is fleeting. Listen up, rich people. That's what he's saying to us. Listen up. Judgment day is coming. Hoard your stuff in heaven. Use it to glorify God now. And for the good of others, watch what's waiting for you. Now, that's a risk. That's a risk. If what we sing about and what we say we believe is really true, we're either going to send it on up ahead of us or we're going to enjoy it now for these few fleeting years. What are we going to do with all the stuff that God has given us? Use it as luxury in our life now? Or give it away for his glory and the good of others. Having enough to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy this life. He really, really does. Wow, some important questions. Certainly it is right to provide for our families. Plan for the future. Have savings. Make wise investments. Carry on business. Give to the poor. Support God's work. All great things to do. Absolutely. It is being dishonest, stingy, greedy that's wrong. The Bible has some strong warnings about what can happen. Look there. When your silver and gold increase... And all you have is multiplied here on this earth, Moses is saying, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. Oh, heaven forbid. Heaven forbid that we might increase in earthly wealth and forget God. Forget to depend on him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Getting that camel through the eye of a needle is impossible, but it's really, really impossible when you're hanging on all this stuff and trying to pull it through the eye of the needle with you. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. James's readers, who were mostly Jews turned Jesus followers, knew that the Old Testament taught very clearly, very explicitly, that you got to be generous to the poor. When you did that, it brings God's blessing, and you're going to get more than you ever gave. They understood that, and it was a clear indicator for someone who was Jewish that this was the faith that they were practicing was real and genuine. Moses, there will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. He gave justice and help to the poor and needy, and everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know me, says the Lord? I will show you my faith by what I do. Isn't that what it means to know God? And we've listed some other verses there. But these rich people didn't get it. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. Satisfying your every desire. Is there anything wrong with that? (laughs) We are to use God's resources to bring him glory, to advance his kingdom. And as we think about that and we close this message, how do we use our resources wisely? We've got to use it to reach the lost. Reach the lost. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends, Jesus said. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Send it on ahead. Okay? Provide for our families, Paul wrote. But those who 
won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Ouch. Providing for our families, absolutely. Supporting those in ministry. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Galatians 6, 6. And I, let me just say this about that. I am just so very grateful for the way this church meets my family's needs and cares for us financially. It, it's just an indicator that your faith, our faith as a church, is genuine and real. I commend you for taking such good care of the people who serve you. Thank you. Thank you. It means a lot to me and my family. To care for those in need. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let's show it. Let's show the truth by our actions. That's what Mark did. Let's show the truth by our actions that we truly love. Now, a great way to care for those in need is through our benevolent fund. And on the giving envelopes there in the seat backs in front of you, you can just designate, and we usually do it when we have communion, give to the benevolent fund of the church. It's a great way to give the, the immediate physical needs of people. That money is wisely used. Consider that. Southside is a community of contrasts. We've got some who have more than others, but you know what? By faith, we all enjoy the simple richness of Jesus. Here's what Paul said. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Do you know the richness of relationship with God through his son Jesus? God's bringing a lot of new people here, and I don't know where some of you are spiritually, but God does. But let me ask you that. Are you rich in your relationship with God? It's a matter of surrendering our life to him, of acknowledging him as Savior and Lord, of turning over the control of our lives to him. It's a decision that many in this room have made, and we'd love to tell you how you can make that decision as well to be a Jesus follower. Absolutely incredible. Changes our whole life perspective, doesn't it? Corey, does it, did it change your life perspective? Just a lot. Just a lot. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. You see, apart from Jesus Christ, we are all spiritually penniless. Our spiritual poverty allows us to see ourselves as we really are. We are lost. We are lonely. We are hopeless. We are helpless without God. Yet amazingly, by faith, our needs meet the master's supply. And we all become rich in Christ. Here we celebrate diversity. I'm glad there's some that have more than others. God's going to meet us all where we are. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Here diversity is celebrated. Here all of our differences dissolve at the cross. Here's where God makes us one. Today, let's confess, shall we? Let's confess that we love God. Let's confess that we are prone towards materialism. And sometimes our desires want to take all that we have and spend it on ourselves, in our pride, and our hoarding, and our quest for comfort, and our lack of trust in the one who has promised, promised, promised to take care of us. He's promised to do it. He's going to do it. He will. Today, let's be thankful for the blessings of God that we enjoy. 
from the person seated next to you to the shoes on your feet. These are all gifts from a great God who wants to love on you. All we want to do is receive it in the name of Jesus. Today we declare that God is good. Today we declare that God is able. Today we declare that God is for us. Today we declare that God is in control. Today we declare he is our Savior and our friend. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me as the worship team comes? Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, thanks for speaking to my own heart this week and and, uh, reminding me about the tendency to spend what I have on myself or or to hoard stuff if somehow that's going to take care of me in the future. Lord, we need your wisdom. We, We need to know your heart. And there's some people here that are masterful planners as we look ahead. And that's wise, wise, wise thing to do. And yet we don't want to cross over into attempting to control the future. That alone is yours, oh God. And so for the things that you have blessed us with this day, we give our thanks. Father, thank you. Thank you. And sometimes words are not adequate to express the gratitude that we have in our hearts. But from our health to relationships to jobs and family, just all the good things around us, you've surrounded us. We want to use it for your glory and the good of others, knowing that as we are generous, You are far more generous. Lord, you've got a bigger shovel than we do. So God, we surrender to you. We surrender to you. Maybe maybe there are those here who, who really are outside of a relationship with you and don't quite get what we're talking about. That's cool. So glad that you've brought them today, Lord. And yet for all of us, we want to be set free set free from this world to set our mind and our hearts on things above and to trust you.